Hello and welcome to Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Serafina, and I am an ego and soul enthusiast. We can no longer be strangers to our egos and how they function. So come and join me as we find out why and how this philosophy of dating your ego but marrying your soul is true and useful for you. Today, talking to us about the ego and soul, we have Jean Su, a China business advisor and consultant. Yes, dear audience, we are taking the concepts of the ego and soul and we are applying it to the business realm. Jean Su is the founder of China Leadership Dilemmas. He is a man who has successfully traversed the cross cultural realm between two polar opposite cultures such as America and China. Now, there must have been a ton of ego to date and a lot of soul to marry. So without further ado, let's listen in to Jean Su. I don't remember seeing another Asian kid in my school until maybe I got to 11th grade. At that point, I was very self-conscious because mm-hmm. I knew I looked different than everybody else. But what that translated into further on in my life is it translated into a higher level of awareness because I was so self-conscious that I looked different as a younger person that I constantly thinking about how I'm perceived by other people. Whenever there are either cultural biases or prejudices, we as individuals naturally react in a very angry, frustrated or negative manner. Because especially if we feel we are being discriminated against, cultural biases and even prejudices are natural. The key to success is being aware of what those cultural biases may be. And if you're aware of what people's negative or cultural biases or even prejudices are against you, it becomes much easier if you can adjust your attitude, mindset and approach to pleasantly surprise people and exceed their expectations. If you learn anything about Chinese culture, the entire way that Chinese culture works is based on a system of guanxi relationships, reciprocity, and the giving and receiving of face. I've been in the company of a lot of foreigners in China, and when the Chinese people are giving them face, they just call them liars. And it's unbelievable. I'll give you a really funny example. So I know this guy, he was kind of a friend of mine. He's from Britain and he was living in China for the like four or five years as a language teacher. And I introduced him to this Chinese girl and he really, really liked this girl a lot. And after a few weeks, he invited her to go on a vacation with him. She says, I have to go back and see my parents. My mother is sick. So you'll be amazed that Mothers in China are often sick because telling you that I have to go see my sick mother is a face-saving way of declining your invitation. So if you want to communicate effectively with Chinese people, you have to be empathetic to what's in people's hearts and not engage with them at the surface. Because at the surface, they may be venting or frustrated about something that they care about, But because there's no example and there's language barriers, they may just react to some situation on the surface, but that actually doesn't reflect their point of view. It doesn't reflect what their position is. The only way to really understand what their position is, is to be empathetic to what's at the center of the circle. 
Welcome, Jean Sue. We're so delighted to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Looking forward to talking to you today. Me too. So for our listeners, do give us a quick background about who you are and what you do on this beautiful planet of ours. I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia is in the South. So the South also fought a war with the North in the American Civil War. So I grew up in the South at a time where there were very few people with an Asian face. Okay, so one of the things I can remember when I was growing up is every kid who met me, the first thing they assumed is I knew karate. Because back in that time period, the only Chinese person or only Asian person that they knew of was Bruce Lee. <laughs> that was when basically America was really quite ignorant of what's happening on the other side of the globe. I mean, I can even remember there was a lot of anti-Japanese sentiment back then. I mean... Everything was by American because there was an influx and import of a lot of Japanese cars and, and stuff like that. So that's the environment in which I grew up. I grew up in the South. And then my journey has taken me all over the world. But from a business standpoint, it's mainly focused on doing business in China. So I had my first assignment as a country manager in Taiwan in 1996. And I've basically been doing business in Asia and China as a bilingual business person for the last 20 years. And what I've done today is uh, having the language skills to communicate with local Chinese people, uh, being married actually to somebody from China. Uh, what does that enable me to do is understand at a deeper level, what are the nuances of the cultural differences between an American and Western culture and a very different Chinese culture. And that is now part of my business. So my business called EME China Consultants is all focused around one thing. And that one thing is what I call a China leadership dilemma. For those who are in the technology field, Clayton Christensen in the late 90s wrote a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. And that explains why large successful technology companies always fail to respond to smaller, more nimble, disruptive technologies. And the thesis is what has made companies successful ultimately lead them to failure because they are unable to change. They want to keep milking their cash cow. And then some disruptive technology comes on board and uh, the incumbents are disrupted. The China leadership dilemma is the same thing. So when foreign executives or American expats are sent to China on foreign assignments, they're typically selected because they've done well within the company and they're also well-known within the industry. And so what has made them successful, for example, in my case here in America with an American company, when these executives, including myself, when we go to China, because we don't fully understand Chinese culture, we're not able to be empathetic to the Chinese values and the Chinese mindset. We experience a lot of what we call unexpected disappointments. And unexpected disappointments due to myopia, a lack of awareness, and a phrase that Donald Rumsfeld coined, unknown unknowns, things you don't know you don't know. These are the things that cause you to have a negative perception 
in the eyes of the people that you're communicating or working with or leading, in this case, China. And because you're unaware, you lack self-awareness. So you don't know how they perceive you. You don't know what they're really thinking and how they're talking to you behind your back. And you're not empathetic to what they value and what they care about. In my mind, that's a recipe for a lot of the negative situations that foreign executives face in China. But we hear about it in terms of a complaint, right? A lot of foreigners will complain about Chinese people don't understand this. Chinese people can't do this. They'll complain about government intervention, government policies, Chinese government bureaucracies. It's always a complaint and an excuse to justify why they aren't able to succeed. And what they don't do is they don't control the only levers that they can control. And I call these AMA values. This is your attitude, your mindset, and your approach. And what I've discovered is... If you just adjust your attitude, mindset, and approach, you can change how other people perceive you. And if you can start the conversation off on a more positive trajectory, you have a much higher likelihood of achieving a more favorable outcome in the long term. Absolutely. And what I love about your story is that, you know, you actually grew up with the effects of prejudice because you were saying you grew up in the South. And as an adult, you've actually taken on a path where you're actually trying to bridge the gap between understanding of two cultures. So it's almost as if your experience created a little or planted a little seed that has now grown into this glorious plant that is now providing shade to so many people with all these miscommunications and misunderstandings about Chinese culture And what I also loved about what you said is you're quite focused on integration and adapting and creating self-awareness. And these are sort of qualities that you need to embrace if you want to really thrive in the world on a multi-level as a human being. So not just economically, but mentally and emotionally and even spiritually, if you want to actually connect with another culture or with a set of people, you have to have a holistic approach to that culture and business. And that's what I love about what you're doing. And that brings me to my next question. I really want to know what is the essence of being uh, Chinese and what is the essence of being an expat Chinese? Well, you actually just made some very, very profound observations. I want to comment on those a little bit. I was shaped by the environment in which I was raised. So when being the only, not just Chinese person, but being the only Asian looking person from first grade all the way through, I don't remember seeing another Asian kid in my school until maybe I got to 11th grade. At that point, I was very self-conscious because Mm -hmm. I knew I looked different than everybody else. But what that translated into further on my life is it translated into a higher level of awareness because I was so self-conscious that I looked different as a younger person that I constantly thinking about how I'm perceived by other people, even though at that point I even had a negative stereotype of Chinese people because I grew up in this very white Christian Southern All my neighbors went to church on Sunday. They did Bible study. So I grew up in this environment. And while I didn't face, you know, really strong kind of racist discrimination, 
I could always sense that I was different. And so I mentor a lot of students and then I coach a lot of executives as my clients. And one of the things, I think there's a very fine line. Everybody has a cultural bias because everybody has their own perceptions and their misperceptions. It's based on the environment in which we grew up. I think it's a very fine line between cultural bias and prejudice. So what happens is, especially in China, you're going to find, even between Chinese people, because China is actually not homogeneous. China is a mix of 57 different ethnicities within China. They all have their different food. They even have a different language. They share different values. So for foreigners, they think China is this one big market, but it's not. It's a lot of different cultures. And what happens is whenever there are either cultural biases or prejudices, we as individuals naturally react in a very angry, frustrated, or negative manner. Because especially if we feel we are being discriminated against and, you know, with the whole Me Too movement and all that stuff, that's very natural. But from a business standpoint, whether I'm coaching or advising my clients who are Americans or Europeans or if I'm advising the other side, which is Chinese executives, I always tell them that cultural biases and even prejudices are natural. And the key is actually not to react to it at all. Mm. And the key is actually not only to not react to it, but actually, and this is part of emotional intelligence, is actually to not even let it bother you, which means that we come from different cultural backgrounds. I'm just going to assume that you have some natural cultural biases against me because either I'm an American or I'm a Chinese American or I'm a male. And the key to success is not judging people or criticizing people for their cultural biases. The key to success is being aware of what those cultural biases may be. Mm -hmm. And then what you can do is you can adjust how you communicate with this person who has these cultural biases to flip the script, to turn the situation into your advantage. So if you know somebody is biased against you or because in your case, assume that you are a minority woman and you may experience that somebody will just naturally assume that you're not as capable as of leading as a six foot tall, blonde haired, blue eyed male. Instead of being angry about that, just surprise the people who have those biases because it's almost like salesmanship. The key to successful sales is always to exceed the customer's expectations. And if you're aware of what people's negative or cultural biases or even prejudices are against you, it becomes much easier if you can adjust your attitude, mindset, and approach to pleasantly surprise people and exceed their expectations. And that's an advantage that most people fail to create because their immediate reaction to any cultural bias is a negative reflection. I think, yes. And I think there are lots of parallels with what you've just said, especially when it comes to the AMAs and wanting to even cultivate them and our theme. So date your ego, marry your soul is an effort to sort of explain why there is so much violence in the world or why there is prejudice and why people suffer as a result of their attitudes towards each other. I think when you're very recognized with your ego, you tend to also believe 
or assume a negative uh, intention from the opposite side. Like you said, if someone has a cultural bias, the best thing and the most emotionally intelligent thing is not to react at all. But if you're very invested with your ego, it's very hard not to get emotional about such stuff. And when you invest it with your ego, your ego will make you react in a defensive way because its job is to promote you in this world. And that's where the element of your soul comes in because your soul is ageless, sexless, professionless. It's here to love you. It's been your companion for lifetimes and it's here to make you learn certain lessons and then leave. You know, the only two certainties in a, in a lifetime for a human being is birth and death. So in that time, you got to do something. And I'm not sure we were just born to get an education, pay bills and die. I know there's more to this lifetime. And what I like about what the AMAs are asking our audience members to do is to put aside those surface feelings of defensiveness, of negativity, of bias, and try a new, more fresher approach of looking at the situation or if someone treats you badly, looking at it as though how you could possibly turn it around, how it actually doesn't affect you and how it yeah. actually is an opportunity rather than a fight. Yeah, well, between the certainties in life, which is birth and death, in between those two certainties, there's another thing. It's called life. Yes. <laughs> right? Between birth and death, there's life. And so regarding this whole ego thing, so there's an equivalent to ego in Chinese culture. It's called face. Okay. So face is actually more extreme and governing emotions than actually ego. Okay. It's even more extreme. If you learn anything about Chinese culture, the entire way that Chinese culture works is based on a system of guanxi relationships, reciprocity, and the giving and receiving of face. So by definition, Chinese people have a lot more ego invested in all of their relationships. So we, you talk about ego from a more Western point of view. And, and yeah, so the way that I work with clients and the way we work with students is you have to understand your ego or your need for face. If I'm talking to a Chinese person, you have to understand it in the context of the purpose of your life. So the purpose of your life in the way that I approach it, the purpose of your life also, I mean, obviously includes your family, but it also includes your career. And if you're able to develop a more prosperous career where you're able to generate a good financial income and you're also able to make a difference and help people, then of course that's the best of both worlds. And what people fail to understand is they don't understand their ego in the context of what they want to achieve in their life and in their careers. And it's a fact that most people, I mean, especially younger people, but I find this in older people too. So I, I do a lot of workshops for students for their career development and stuff like that. And most people don't focus on understanding who they are and where they're going. And if you don't understand who you are and where you're going, you can't put the context of having an ego in, it's more holistic. You look at your life, not static in the moment. You look at your life through the continuum of where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow. And when people start to analyze that, they start to realize, at least the people that I work with, they start to realize that 
ego doesn't serve any positive benefit in any aspect of your life. And my wife is Chinese. So she'll say that I'm very thick skinned because I don't seem to care what other people think of me at all. <laughs> but she understands that in the wrong context. She thinks that sometimes I'm not saving my face. I don't care about my face. I'm doing something that might be actually embarrassing. But if I'm looking at this thing holistically, I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what my values are. I know my motivation is not selfish. I know my motivation is actually to help inspire and empower as many people as I can to succeed in these cross-cultural interactions. And when I am critical of people or I give them constructive criticism or I just say, you know, it, that just wouldn't work in Chinese culture or vice versa. When I tell Chinese people that just doesn't work here in American culture, a lot of people, their first reaction is to be defensive. And I've had Chinese people tell me, said, when you tell me what I'm saying is irrelevant, you're being disrespectful. I said, no. If my goal was to just be respectful and give you face, you would extract zero value from our conversation. I'm actually trying to help you achieve the goals that you already articulated to me at the beginning of our conversation. And since you are Chinese and you don't understand American culture, these are the things that you need to be aware of because you don't understand that the negative perceptions or the negative biases or stereotypes that Americans have of Chinese people, if you're just behaving like the stereotypes, you won't be able to overcome them. Mm. Don't judge the stereotypes. Just understand that they exist, free from emotion, and then adjust your attitude, mindset, and approach to change people's perceptions. And then you will form even stronger, more lasting, trusting relationships than if you just try to argue with people and try to change their perceptions with you know a very argumentative fashion. I think you made some really good points there. Can you tell me what the Chinese name for ego is? What is face in Chinese? It's mianzi. Mianzi. So, mianzi. And I can very much grasp that the cultural implication of the word ego can have a far-reaching effect on some cultures, whereas in other more sort of younger cultures, they're not even aware of its existence. I think, Absolutely. Yeah, I think traditional cultures are more aware of its existence and yet they live with it. But more younger cultures aren't even aware that they're acting out of their ego. <laughs> you know, the Western world and especially the United States, there's another area, in my opinion, where America leads the world. And that is in the understanding of human psychology. And even the academic term that we all now refer to as EQ or emotional intelligence. So by definition, emotional intelligence is being aware of your emotions and then being able to manage them. Actually, in a culture like China, and I assume a lot of Asian cultures are similar, emotional intelligence, by definition, is not only not necessary, people are just not even aware of it. Okay? There is no need in a Guanxi-based hierarchical society such as China, where your level of promotion is basically based on the reciprocity of giving and receiving. You never, when I say never, I'm just saying in the context of the general culture, there isn't a need to make people like you. 
there isn't a need to make people believe that you are trustworthy mm-hmm. because how people respond to you is basically your level of authority. I mean, this is since Confucius. Confucius talks about social harmony and understanding the hierarchy between heaven, earth, emperor, father, son, daughter, and then the whole network of of what we call weak links is basically your level of guanxi. Are you a family member, which is the closest level of guanxi? Mm -hmm. Or are you a close friend? Are you just an associate or do you have no guanxi? You're just a stranger. And depending on the level of guanxi, there will be a different behavioral response or reaction. In Western culture, especially in the United States, we talk about fairness. Everybody talks about fairness. And one of the things that I've observed is that fairness is a matter of context. Everybody believes they are treated unfairly because nobody is looking at things in the context of how people and different things work together. And when people start to talk about fairness, whether it's Chinese people talking to their American expat managers who have come over, or it's Americans talking about things that the government has mandated or restricted when they go to China, I always tell my clients and my students that fairness or what you believe is fair is irrelevant. Whatever the macro environment is, whatever people's biases are, it is what it is. In order for you to be successful, you just need to be aware of it. Mm. If you're self-aware and you're empathetic, if you have these what I call essential soft skills that matter, then basically you have within your control the ability to, I use this word with caution, this, you have the ability to manipulate any situation to be more favorable to you. I do understand that you're coming from a very much China leadership dilemma point of view, but I do believe that this idea of judgment and fairness can only occur when people get a little too carried away with their pride, knowing and thinking that they know best. They yeah, don't ego, know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a very ego-driven process. Judgment is a very ego-driven process. And so I think from everything you've said, what I'd like to really learn from you, because you're so knowledgeable about such an ancient culture on two sides of the world, really, I'd really like to go back to my question about what is the essence of being Chinese and what is the essence of being an international Chinese person? Well, actually, you know, that's an interesting question. Your most formidable years, the environment in which you grew up. So Chinese people from mainland China, they become international business travelers. They become globalized, global citizens. There are so many Chinese who now invest abroad, buy buy property abroad and, and move their kids and their families abroad. I mean, some of the main destinations is Southern California, Australia, New Zealand, even the UK. I mean, so it's really hard to just quantify the difference between me being a global Chinese citizen Mm. or a global American citizen and a Chinese person who has a lot of global ties and global experiences. It all comes down, in my opinion, fundamentally to cultural differences. Cultural differences lead to value differences. 
and mm-hmm. value differences lead to a different set of priorities. And the biggest difference is Chinese people from mainland China who grew up in that environment, even if they spent 20 years living abroad, they can't get rid of what you call ego, which <laughs> means they care more about their face than the results or the outcome. Now, of course, that's a general statement. Uh, there's also, because they grew up in mainland China, which is completely different than the United States. So if anybody actually studies cultural differences, you know, Hofstede, Gert Hofstede has measured every country on all of these different cultural dimensions, uncertainty, avoidance, power, distance, and all of this stuff. And if you look at these charts, China and America are always at opposite ends of the spectrum along almost every cultural dimension that this person, Hofstede, has tried to measure. That's all fine and great from an academic point of view, but from a practical point of view, you just have to understand that I would almost argue that across cultural differences like those between America and China, there are almost no such thing as universal values. So most people who are spiritual, who are religious, always believe that certain values are universal. But if you take the human element out of it, if you just look at it in a business context, you just have to assume that no values are universal because otherwise you would think everybody in China is unethical, which is just not true. It's just a different cultural context. I'll give you an example. Deeply embedded in Chinese culture is the giving and receiving of face. That means if I give you face, I want to make you feel good. I praise you. I tell you nice things about you. I commend you, even if I don't believe it in my heart. So if you look at that in a different way, giving somebody face, which is deeply embedded in Chinese culture, by Western definitions, is to be disingenuous. Not only does it mean to be disingenuous, certain people actually think giving and receiving a face because they are absolutists. They actually believe that Chinese people just are flat out liars. I've been in the company of a lot of foreigners in China. And when the Chinese people are giving them face, they just call them liars. And it's unbelievable. I'll give you a really funny example. So I know this guy. He was kind of a friend of mine. He's uh, he's from Britain and he was living in China for the like four or five years as a language teacher. He was teaching English and he was teaching at these international schools. And he was dating a lot of people. As a foreigner in China, you get a lot of people that you can date. So he always had bad experiences dating Chinese people, Chinese girls or Chinese women. And he would always complain to me. He goes, oh, Gene. Chinese women are crazy. I'm no longer going to date Chinese women. He would always say that. And he says, you know, I'm only going to date foreigners now. No more Chinese women. And then through happenstance, but he always reverts back. And my wife and I introduced him to this Chinese girl. And he really, really liked this girl a lot because it wasn't somebody he met at a bar. It wasn't somebody that he met on an app. It was somebody who we introduced him to. And after a few weeks, he said, you know, I think this girl is is the one. I really want to just be exclusive with her. And he invited her to go on a vacation with him. And she just said, oh, and this is very typical. She says, I have to go back and see my parents. My mother is sick. 
<laughs> so you'll be amazed that mothers in China are often sick because that are is often sick. Sorry, <laughs> are often sick. Oh my God! Why? Because telling you that I have to go see my sick mother is a face-saving way of declining your invitation. Right, I get it. So what happened is this friend of mine discovered that this girl didn't go back to her hometown to visit her mother, and her mother wasn't sick, and he was basically irate. He was just saying, you know, if she didn't want to go with me or she felt we were moving too fast, she just should have told me. She shouldn't have lied. He's been living in China for four years, and he doesn't understand that this is just a face-saving way, a nice way of turning you down. He's no matter how much I explained it to him, he just would can you say? But she lied. She didn't have to lie. It's a lie because she lied to me, and he couldn't. He was just fixated on the fact that her mom actually wasn't sick. But in China, that's how people talk. Anytime somebody doesn't want to do something, they just come up with a reason that saves face for the person that's being turned down. And so many Westerners don't understand that. They interpret it literally as a as a lie.、Mm-hmm. But in China, which is another difference between Westerners and Chinese people, is Chinese people think in a circular manner. That's a very generic way of understanding that Chinese don't think in a linear manner. There's not a cause and effect. They think in a circular manner. So. If you want to communicate effectively with Chinese people, you have to be in a, empathetic to what's in people's hearts, and not engage with them at the surface. Because at the surface, they may be venting or frustrated about something that they care about, but because there's no example and there's language barriers, they may just react to some situation on the surface. But that actually doesn't reflect their point of view. It doesn't reflect what their position is. The only way to really understand what their position is is to be empathetic to what's at the center of the circle. That's the mistake that most foreigners make. They react、mm-hmm. to confrontation or things that are potentially confrontational, as opposed to being empathetic to what actually people think and feel. And if you can do that, you can actually avoid an escalation of disagreements into an argument or a fight. Yes, I agree. You know, being empathetic is also the way to integration, ultimately. But I think your patience levels, and if you've entered a completely different world of understanding, your patience levels can be really tested. If the people you're interacting with don't think in a similar manner to you, but then, like you said, knowledge is key, and knowledge is. The most important tool here, because if you understand that Chinese people think in a circular way, you won't expect them to react in a certain way. So you'll be fine with it. I would say awareness is key. I was once sitting with a client, and we were talking about this exact thing. And since I've been doing business in China for you know twenty years, they say, "How do you manage the frustration when Chinese people, or they say, 'Do you get frustrated when the employees that you lead in China, etc., are behaving this way?'" And I said no. And I remember she says, "How do you do that?" I said, "Well, I never get frustrated because I already expect people to behave that way." I do believe that ultimately, whether you're Chinese or American Chinese or Italian or American or English, 
beyond your cultural differences, there is still a language of the heart. And I believe this with a life experience and I believe this with my whole life, really. I think there's a certain percentage of the world that operates on a surface level and that is to be expected given the economic focus we're seeing around the globe. That is to be expected. But I do believe there is a large percentage that still operates on the quality of just being human and can communicate on that level. And I think that's what this show is most about, you know, how we can transcend our differences through identifying with our soul qualities. So we find more commonality because ultimately everyone's on a journey, whether you're doing business, whether you're a doctor, whether you're just a wife, whichever country you're living in, you're on this journey you know, and everybody's trying to get somewhere. Like you said, between birth and death, there's life. And it's the quality of that life. And it's what you do with that time and how you feel in that time. Yeah, actually, I think we're saying almost the exact same thing. If people from whatever cultural differences, whatever value differences, whatever country, if they want to communicate more effectively with each other, they want to build stronger relationships, the key is connecting in the heart, right? So what happens is, if you use Americans in China as an example, most Americans aren't connecting with the heart. They're connecting with what surrounds the heart, which is just a reaction. So what I'm actually advising my clients, in this case, my American clients doing business in China, yes, I use the word empathy, but I'm actually advising them exactly what you're saying. They have to connect with Chinese people at a deeper spiritual, soulful level. And you can't do that if number one, you don't care what they care about. And number two, if you don't understand what they care about. We just use empathy as a broad term that encapsulates all of that. But it's basically saying the same thing in a different way. It's just you have to connect with people at the heart and soul of who they are. And you can't do that if you're unwilling to listen. And if you don't, like we said, put your ego to, to one side. And, and if you're unable to be non-judgmental, it makes it almost impossible. Ego, judgment, all of these things erect barriers between you and somebody else's heart. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that I look at it. I love that you're incorporating that into the business world and giving them actual tools that they can use to make that relationship more holistic. I want to know, you know, what is the one thing that you do to love and appreciate yourself? Well, to love and appreciate myself. One of the things that I've developed over time, because I really focus on self-awareness, understanding myself, understanding who I am and where I want to go, and empathy, which is understanding other people. What that has done is that has given me a level of optimism and positivity about where I'm currently am in my life and where I'm and the journey that I'm on and where I'm going. So having that framework where I don't, relative to a lot of people that I coach, I don't have that ego. I don't have that need for face because I've eliminated the triggers of negative emotions almost completely out of my life. This enables me to feel really positive and optimistic about where I am and who I am and where I'm going. And this is our first time kind of communicating, but if we work with each other or we're around each other on a regular basis, 
you would experience that I'm always, relatively speaking, I'm always more positive and more optimistic. There's always two sides to every story. And it's not that I don't look at things that potentially could cause negative outcomes. Of course I do. But I always put it in the context of what can I do to affect change in a positive direction? So it's almost like there's a Chinese saying where every crisis is an opportunity. Yeah. That's just a very cliche phrase to not, not be so, you know, overly absorbed in a crisis where you can't function. They're trying to, that phrase is trying to give people a different way of looking at things that are happening that may put your life into crisis mode. People always look in hindsight. And when they see disruptions in their life, I had a lot of disruptions in my life really negative, bad things that have happened. I've lost a child in childbirth. I've had a DUI where I had a uh, mild concussion and lost memory and had to withdraw from school that I was going to. I've been laid off. I've been divorced. A lot of negative things have happened in my life. But in hindsight, the way that I reacted, adjusted, and overcome those negative things have put me on the path to where I am today. It's, it's almost a strange kind of spiritual thing. Once you've reached what I call a mastery of what I call cross-cultural performance, the things that you can see in hindsight, how they benefited you today, for me, I see those in foresight. The things that are not creating a financial advantage for me, the things that are actually can be perceived as a short-term setback, I see these forward-looking In foresight, I can see how these connections and these situations are still building the character that I'm trying to develop, shape me into the person that I want to become, and help me be more proficient in my craft of helping other people develop these essential soft skills that matter. So when I look at things in foresight, because I am aware of how things manifested in hindsight, this continuity of my journey from where I came from to where I am today to where I'm going, this continuity gives me peace and balance. And that's the best way that I can describe it. And I can't say I've helped a lot of people, but I've helped several people look at their life in a different context, look at their careers, look at their behaviors, and especially look at their attitude, mindset, or approach in a different context. And when they start to make those adjustments, if they don't see it in foresight, they at least can start to feel the differences and how people around them respond to them. And I think from that very insightful answer, what I'm getting for my audience is that you can be in a very focused job, career, trajectory, and still figure out a more holistic way to manage your interactions in the world. And a cross-cultural opportunity is a gateway to deepen that holistic connection with humanity. You know, it's, it's, not, it's nothing else. Every challenge that you come across, not just in a cross-cultural context, but also in life, in work, is an opportunity to actually make a more holistic connection. You don't have to give up on your holistic side for a career. You just don't. That doesn't have to be the case. And in fact, from your life, we can see that it's benefited you. Because you, you're making choices that are allowing you to not only earn money, but also help people while you're doing that. 
Yeah, I think we're saying the exact same thing. You use the word holistic. I use the word balance. So I talk a lot about, I have these tools that I give my students and my clients. It's called the balance of extremes, cross-cultural performance analysis or BOE for short. Mm-hmm. And holistic is actually a better word. Actually, I just recently wrote an article and, and you just reminded me of this. So a lot of people talk about ways to improve their life and their business their leadership qualities. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, especially in a cross-cultural situation, they talk about things like emotional intelligence and they talk about things like cultural intelligence and everything can have an intelligence at the end of it and it describes some aspect of who you are. Work, I just sent you a LinkedIn request. The last article that I wrote happened to be an article called Holistic Intelligence. Mm. <laughs> and I think that might actually be very interesting to your readers or your audience, because I talk about exactly what you're talking about. If you look at every discipline by itself, whether it's emotional intelligence or cultural intelligence, it's very difficult for that to lead to any change or any, make any difference. Mm. You know, just consuming content and then saying, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But how does that affect your life? How does that change behavior? In my experience, only for very few people does it actually make a difference. So in my cross-cultural performance training, I've tried to take what you would call a more holistic approach because we need to just focus on what we understand in the context of people we interact with and the larger environment. And we have to understand that in context. And then we have to figure out what adjustments that we can make that are easily controllable. If you have too many things that are too theoretical, you can't find the balance of how to incorporate that into who you are. I've simplified it. I basically say there are three things that you can adjust, your attitude, your mindset, and approach. And in the continuity of your life, your family goals, your professional goals, your personal goals, your attitude, mindset, and approach will ultimately influence everybody that you interact with. I mean, including, you know, one of the funny things is, I'm not a relationship coach or a marriage counselor, but I get a lot of people asking me advice about relationships, especially about intercultural relationships, because I'm able to help people see things from a different perspective or a different context, or in your words, to take a more holistic approach of people's behaviors and why people are actually fighting or disagreeing or whatever. And then once you understand it in context, then you're not as angry, you're not as emotional, and you're able to just communicate more effectively with somebody that you're in a conflict with or in an argument. Absolutely. And I think when you choose the relationship over yourself, you're always choosing better. I do believe that. And I do believe where there is love, that is always the right choice. That's all we have time for today. But I'd really like our listeners to know how they can reach you. What is the best place to get in touch with some of your work and articles could you please tell us well the name of my company is called eme china consultants so the web address is just emechina.us if you go on itunes the podcast that i've launched is called the china leadership dilemma podcast so if you just go to my website or go to my podcast you'll see ways to connect with me there's also a facebook group called CLD Nation. There's also a YouTube channel where you can see all of my vlogs and behind the scenes of all the videos and lessons that I teach. That's wonderful. Thank you so very much. I feel like 
in the world that's about to come, you're going to make ripples of good effect, peaceful effect. And you're going to really balance out this whole craziness called globalization that we haven't yet got to grips with as a world. But I think we're getting there and you're going to be instrumental in that. So thank you. I hope the message gets out. You know, my company is called EME. ME stands for multicultural environments, but it also stands for me. So I really my focus is really just on helping individuals, Mm -hmm. helping individuals to make a difference in their professional and personal lives. Well, I'm certainly feeling the positive ripples and I'm sure the world is too. So thank you so very much. Thank you for your time today. All right. Thank you, Serafina.